2: Feliz viernes a todos. Bienvenidos a Latino Founder Hour Podcast. Eh, ya se nos acabó mayo. Y no, no, no. Todavía no se ha Bueno, o sea, se Quieto. acaba más tarde. <risa> y bueno, le, les damos la bienvenida a Edgar Navas, fundador de Clica.
3: Silvia Salazar, fundadora de Tono Latino.
2: Y hoy tenemos una invitada repetida de, del año pasado. Vamos a escuchar qué ha pasado en estos últimos 12, 13 meses. Le damos la bienvenida a Lisa Morales desde Nueva York. Lisa, ¿cómo estás? Buenos días o tardes para ti.
1: Hola, Uh, my Spanish is not so great, so I'm going to (laughs) be speaking in English. My Norwegian can be fluent, though, if you'd care to go over into Norwegian. No. (laughs)
2: uh, No. You're Norwegian? No. Well, can you
1: teach us one word in Norwegian? Like, not a naughty Uh, word? (laughs) They don't really have many naughty words. It's crazy. That's why they're Um, so nice. Yes. Yeah, one that I love is hige. Hige means, uh, like cozy and having family time with no devices around a fireplace with hot cocoa. It's that it's an unusual word for a specific thing that's very specific to their
3: culture. That sounded like piglet without the L. Was that correct? <laughs> <laughs> S- something like that, that yeah. It's uh, H-Y-G-G-E. Oh, wow. H- oh. Hig-ge. Hig-ge. Okay. I was like, piglet, <laughs> yeah. yes. Piglet is warm <laughs> and fuzzy and, yeah. Higge. Okay. Higge. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But Lisa, you, I mean, it, it's been so long. It's been almost a, well, over a year So why don't you give us a little update on on, on what's happened with Fashioned?
1: Yeah, so um, Refashioned is now officially a fund. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Yes, um, we are still raising, but we are already uh, doing some deals through SPVs, special purpose vehicles, deploying capital and raising our funds simultaneously and hosting our monthly events for the New York supply chain meetup the Charleston Supply Chain Meetup, Bangalore, and a couple of chapters launching all around the world. And coming up on June 19th and 20th, we are hosting our first ever Global Supply Chain Summit at Microsoft in Times Square over two days, June 19th and 20th, and have uh, 13 supply chain startups flying in from around the world, from as far off as Greece, India, Finland, uh, Germany, UK, you name it, they're coming.
2: Oh, wow. And, and are, are those startups mainly supply chain or fashion industry or combination? So
1: yeah, so they're uh, supply chain and fashion supply chain. If, okay. Uh, our, our agenda has broken it down into a different tracks. The first day is invite only and C-suite executives. With panel discussions, and the first track happens to be around fashion and retail supply chain. Uh, we have a logistics track, maritime, and then two blockchain tracks. And then the second day is basically a demo day of those 12, uh, 13 companies just doing demos, presenting, and that's open to the public.
2: Oh wow! Okay, and so 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 tell us. Um, so last year, you know, you, you 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 told you know you you had founded New York Fashion Tech Lab. And w- was this the development, was this the continuation of that project?
1: So I left the Fashion Tech Lab after I built it. The first, uh, so that was founded in 2014. And after the first cohort, I realized talking behind closed doors to the C-suite executives at Lee J Crew, Kate Spade, Ralph and Lian Song, GBG, et cetera, that uh, an accelerator is kind of putting lipstick on the pig <laughs> in this space. We really uh, need to focus on the back end because everyone is trying to invest in and focus on developing an agile front end consumer facing experience, but you cannot deploy that it'll never be successful or add any true value if you have a static back end. So systems one oh one, I said that's what I want to know more about, and spent a year studying the fashion supply chain at maker labs, cut and sew shops, ateliers, and factories for all different sizes, and then that led me to come up with my thesis for where the industry is going and building refashioned.
2: Okay, and, and what can you tell us? Where where is the industry going? The fashion industry. Ah,
1: yeah. So fashion. Um, well, I believe the future of all supply chains uh, are around collaboration and convergence and localization. So our planet, we have we have 12 more years, folks. 12 good ones, anyways. <laughs> and uh, uh, we need to realize that there's no, we don't have time. We don't have the luxury of time of trying to retrofit the existing paradigm, existing supply chains, especially with fashion touches every other vertical around the world, has billions of nodes around the globe, and fashion has been trying to push the sustainability angle for mm-hmm. 35 years. <laughs> We've got maybe a fraction of a percent of penetration on, on actual sustainability in those 35 years. We no longer have the time to do it that way. So the only way that is possible and is moving forward is through localization. So localization, meaning uh, it could look like distributed, collaborative, small batch, on-demand apparel factories connected over a region with a shared data layer and then shared regional raw materials. So logistics, that's moving everything like a hive across this more agile, distributed, collaborative network. So everyone thinks of um, blockchain as the distributed collaborative uh, type of network, but they are starting to be made physical and tangible in the real world as well because they have similar benefits, agility, uh, resiliency, um, cost efficiency, et cetera.
2: Okay. But, you know, now now I'm going to start. Uh, poking more, more questions because you know one of the things in the fashion industry um, at large, and, and I don't know if you know, fashion obviously can be broken down in many sectors, but it tends to be very non-sustainable because again, no, number one, there's a lot of waste, there's a mm-hmm. lot of um, uh, you know transportation. Obviously, the the, the 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 carbon footprint is gigantic in that industry, so what are the steps that you see that need to be happened? Do do, do they need to be consumer-facing or uh, uh, industry-facing for any real changes to to happen?
1: Yeah, so I've been personally working on uh, getting the big players across the world, fashion houses and, and holding companies, to align behind the vision I have developed for localization. And that really is... If we create this new shared infrastructure, then you can literally create one off on demand products. So everyone's been trying to get at this customization and personalization thing. And again, it it doesn't matter if I can bedazzle a shirt and that's what you think customization needs to Mm -hmm. be. What customization really offers as an opportunity for brands is to eliminate or at least immediately drastically reduce the amount of dead stock in the U.S. alone, we had over fifty billion dollars worth of dead stock. That's clothing, finished goods that couldn't sell even at ninety percent off. Wow! And oh, get shipped happened? to.
2: Oh yeah, was they get
1: shipped to landfill or they get incinerated. Yeah. there's no way to recycle that. No, not okay. currently. So, well, that's, that's,
2: yeah, not no, not not financially uh, sustainable. That's that's the question. So, yeah, there's always a way. Oh uh, yeah. But it's not, you know, it doesn't make that, sense. Okay, can actually. you
3: repeat that? Because st- I want everybody to hear that statistic again. So now that we're all paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh, like my brain is trying to process what you just said, and I'm, and it's hurting. My heart is hurting. It, <laughs>
1: it does hurt. It, we should all be made more aware of the impact our consumption is having on our planet. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's frightening when you're stared in the face with the cold, hard facts. So the fashion industry alone, US fashion retailers last year according to a business of fashion study had 50 billion dollars worth of dead stock. 50 and that's what they call it billion dollars yeah. of clothes yeah. that would not sell even, even at,
3: at 90% percent off, yeah. guys. Yep. And they go to a <laughs> landfill. I don't even know quantities how much that is a lot of t-shirts, socks and
1: We used to ship that stuff to China or Africa, and they no longer will take our textile
3: waste. Wow. So other countries are not taking our our, our waste. Our waste anymore. Uh, And that's after the fact, like Edgar just said, there's a lot of um, waste in the process. I uh, I heard recently that making a T-shirt... Takes like, I don't know how many, like, absurd number of gallons of water. So now every time I want to buy a t shirt, I feel really guilty. <laughs> yeah. Lisa probably wanna- knows that statistic off the top of her head. Yeah,
1: it takes, um, I don't know the exact gallons, but it's equivalent to the amount of water that a single individual drinks over three years.
3: Oh my
2: yes. gosh.
1: Something <laughs> insane. So Just I used to. Just to make a t shirt. I used to criticize yeah. my husband
3: because he accumulates old really old t-shirts and he doesn't get rid of them
2: that's every man on earth by the way that's every man yeah so every husband apparently
3: (laughs) uh and now i'm like okay well there's no i mean we don't need to buy new t-shirts
2: Every year, every no.
3: year, and every you know what it drives me crazy how they g- hand out T-shirts at every trade show like it's nothing. Uh huh. That's yep. the new yep. you know flyer.
2: Yep, yeah, yeah.
3: And <laughs> I'm like, exactly. it's like,
2: It's even less sustainable than that. And than, I'm just than, than thinking,
3: pole. how many gallons of water are we? And yeah, Lisa's and being very even, generous with the 12 years of even, the planet. Yeah, the
1: the gallons of water isn't even just the, the complexity of the amount of impact that a single t-shirt has on our planet is astronomical so if you are buying a cotton t-shirt cotton is the most thirsty crop on the planet it requires the most water to grow <laughs> and it's shipped from all these different countries to other countries for mm-hmm. processing and pulping and turning into fiber and then spinning to textiles. we don't have to have globalized supply chains. We are capable now of growing things locally, (laughs) even if it's, you know, uh, hydroponics, aquaponics, whatever. We can grow all kinds of things. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about deploying capital now is that we're investing in companies like um, Evernew. So Evernew is a female-founded company who has created a proprietary process to take that $50 billion worth of dead stock as raw materials break that down into its molecules turn it into new pulp and then new fiber that can be spun up to new textiles and it can go through that process up to four times before it eventually breaks down to its sugars and those sugars can be fed to bacteria to create new fiber for new textile oh my god what how do
3: you spell (laughs) this company's name lisa
1: i just want to pick your (laughs) brain all day (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) it's Evernew. evr N-U.
2: Ever new. Okay.
1: E V R
3: N U. Ever
2: new. E V R. I'm going to
3: put it here in the comments.
2: Fantastic. That is amazing. That's
3: kind of like recycling paper when you're in, I don't know, elementary school that yeah. you break the little paper into pieces and then you make this mush and then you make very artes- artesan- yeah. Ar- you- artisanal. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Artisan. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and so if you think about it, waste is really a a first world problem if you look at textile waste in a country like india that has billions of people they actually don't have the amount of textile waste that the u.s does because they have so many people that live in poverty they really have to make use of every scrap of anything they can get their hands on to make money or to turn it into something valuable so there are people there that will take um Excess textiles or waste textiles, and weave them into new products. Turn them into rugs. Turn them into wall hangings. Turn them into you know entirely new things. There's a whole industry around that because Uh, they need to to survive. uh, uh, Jeans and purses. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
2: Well, it's 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 like our countries. We don't you know we don't throw things away.
3: No, we repair them. We
2: repair. We reuse. We reconfection, Whatever you want to re everything. Yeah. Recycled before and, and the, the weren't even existed.
1: I I was so mad the other day. My, my one-year-old Beats wireless headset, one of the earbuds just stopped working. So I, I tried to find a way, is there somewhere I could take this to get it repaired? Of course not. So I tweeted angrily that, you know, why can't we repair things anymore? And Beats tweeted at me, oh, you know, we'll help you. Um, we'll send you a box. You can send it in and we'll repair it. No,
2: they just sent me a whole new set of beats. Oh boy! Oh. And, and what happened to the other but, ones? Just uh, landfill. Well, I
1: have no idea. Landfill.
3: Yeah. They could do a refurbished. They might sell it as a refurbished product. Probably. Once. It could be. Maybe. I mean, I'm trying oh. to give them benefit of the doubt here and be. I'm assuming good intentions on their well, part.
2: And I'm going to. So before I became a. You know, I came to the tech world, uh, I started my career in supply chain and international logistics. So I know a lot about, you know, this, Lisa, because I work for brands like yeah. Gap, Banana Republic, Fila, and I saw all that waste coming in, you know, through, through you know, through the two seasons that the fashion industry has, you know, as soon as the, the season's over, containers are coming, you know, through the supply chain pipeline. Uh, yeah. are, are left. I mean, entire containers. We'll have containers in in, in a warehouse, and so like, hey, well, well, this uh, spring, uh, spring summer session's over, so those containers are coming in and arriving. Uh, they're that's it. Uh, the you know they're not going to go to stores anymore. So there's a secondary market for that. You know, for uh, overstocks. So you know, people mm-hmm. that come in and buy entire containers of, of brand brand new clothing and brands. You know apparel, so they go into flea markets, blah blah. blah wh- wh- whoever knows, but then there's the tertiary market, and then whatever is not consumed, like Lisa, said, ends up in a landfill. So there used to be, we used to be one of the major exporters of little garbage to China until China closed its doors, like little garbage just for incineration, and they yeah. they will pay for it. Yeah.
3: Well, now they're fighting back. Did you see that yeah. shipping? Malaysia shipping? I don't know how many containers of yeah trash back to Canada and saying, we're not going to take yes, your trash. 2,500 yes. 5, tons of tons. trash they're
1: shipping back to Canada. Like, yep. Here you go, guys. Here's your garbage, <laughs> your your first world
2: garbage. Yeah, you take it. Yeah.
1: Yep. And then you look at countries like uh, Sweden that are so efficient in their recycling and sustainability initiatives that they can't produce enough trash now. <laughs> yeah. They need it as a raw material for some of their sustainability um I guess, creating energy, and they Mm -hmm. can't create enough trash because they've become so efficient. And what it comes down to is what you prioritize is what is possible. You know, our country just doesn't prioritize it. We think we're so exceptional and that capitalism is king, and we are the leading cause of our planet's death.
2: I love we that know. quote. Yeah, but it, it, climate it's change re- is not real. It, it, it's Lisa? really We've
3: hard to. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: much time left. We're no. good. I know. Don't even the get US me started alone? on this. Yeah, <laughs> the this U.S. Is... alone, we we produce four times the textile waste of any other country in the world.
2: Just the U.S. alone. Yes. Wow.
1: Well,
3: okay. Let's just look at it. Since the NBA finals are in my head, there's no other country that makes. I don't know how many t-shirts for a team in case they win, because the t-shirts have <laughs> yeah. to be ready in yeah. case they win. So there's two sets of t-shirts, one for, I'm sure they're...
2: For the winners of the, the conference. and
3: Yeah, just in case, you know, game seven, mm-hmm. how many t-shirts do they produce? And then, of course, there's one entire batch that you cannot sell because it says the wrong team that won. Yeah. You can't ship it anywhere, so you got to go and incinerate it. And that's just a tiny little batch of, what, uh, oh, yeah, 30, that's 50? Not, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. No, or We're, ta- we're talking about
2: entire container no. loads coming yeah, into the 50 ocean.
3: billion because- of dead stock.
1: Well, if you want to have another example, um, H&M alone last year, you want to talk about fast fashion? So H&M alone had over $4.3 billion of dead stock as a single company wow. last year. Four point mm-hmm. three. 4300000000 billion. 4.
3: 3 billion. Holy I'm just Christ. writing everything you're telling me. <laughs> billion. And, and I wonder how much
2: stock. Uh, uh, SADA, like Inditex had because it's, you know, oh, one of the so largest.
1: It's interesting. Zara, I'm sure, has much less. They, I don't believe there was a disclosure on that. I haven't seen any studies on their uh, actual dead stock. But because of their efficiencies and agility in their supply chain, they don't mm. produce
2: as, as much waste. As much
1: overages, yeah. They, they only produce what they know is going to sell and deploy small capsule collections to the right locations at, at the right time.
2: I see. No, 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 it's fascinating. So, so one company goes to, to, to the extreme, and, and the larger com- competitor produces you know, most of the waste in the world. That's- so,
3: well, Lisa, what are your thoughts on, on these other companies that are starting to emerge, of like the dropshippers, the print-on-demand places? Is that a good yes. alternative?
1: Um, so I think that there is a way to do drop shipping and print on demand that really can be, uh, more sustainable and efficient. There's companies like Suchi, uh, S-U-U-C-H-I in New Jersey. She has a factory where she does small batch quick turn on demand, uh, even made to measure for clients from emerging fashion brands to major corporations that want to to produce more targeted capsule collections. So I think, obviously, anything where we can get the bigger brands looking towards producing smaller quantities that they know they can actually sell and maybe produce some, uh, you know, a couple of passes of that same run, um, it's far more efficient. We need to stop thinking that volume is king and stop chasing that uh, race to the bottom of, ooh, I got it for, you know, uh, $0.50 cents imported, landed, um, but I had to buy over, you know, 50 million <laughs> extras I just know. to get it down to that price point, knowing that I'm going to incinerate half of
2: it. Wow. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just brutal. I mean, just to think, and, and you know what, I think it's, it's, it's for the people to know the consequences of that quote-unquote bargain. I think, you know, yeah. th- that's <laughs> going to create conscience in everybody else.
1: So I think the, the um, part of the localization vision that I have that I've been sharing with companies like H&M and Walmart and Li and Fung, et cetera, is that if we do a localized distributed network of small batch factories, say we put a factory in a micro factory in every Walmart uh, super center, they have thousands of stores within 10 miles of 90% of the US population. Again, we don't need to repurpose existing buildings or build a whole new infrastructure. There's plenty of buildings out there. We've over-commercialized yeah. uh, our real estate. And so we can put one of these facilities in their existing facilities with great proximity to existing customers and encourage recycling. You know, fast fashion, everyone is trying to get rid of. I say, you know, that, that's a lovely dream and aspiration, but it's not going to happen within the time we have left. So all we should focus on is the new paradigm, building a better mousetrap, a better way to encourage circularity and sustainability that fixes the the part of fast fashion that's so toxic. Okay, you want a new T-shirt? You have to trade in your old T-shirt yes. for us to break down to molecules and turn into mm-hmm. new fiber, and then you'll get credits toward buying your new t shirt
2: I love it. Hey, Lisa, we're going to make a, a small break just to pay the bills and talk about sustainability yeah. <laughs> here, and we'll be right back to 30 seconds. We'll be right back. Okay.
0: CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash radio.
2: Today's episode of the Latino Founder Hour is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize has broken down PR into a modular setup, keeping quality high and simply charging fees for the targeted PR you require. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Claudia and Edgar sent you. Well, we're back uh, with Lisa Morales this is in New York. You know, very interesting talk. But uh, Lisa, so we're talking about sustainability in the the textile industry. Now, what are the prime examples of startups that are tackling this? You already mentioned one. Is there anything Mm -hmm. that you've seen, you know, whether it's textile, like, you know, we have a a listener here talking about hemp, uh, textiles. Uh, Is there anything else that you've seen that's, you know, quite innovative and you could be one of the potential solutions to this?
1: Yeah, so I, I think that things like hemp are really interesting. They're they're far more efficient to uh to grow than cotton. Uh, they, they're making some breakthroughs in lab processing of the hemp to make it as soft as cotton, because that's been one of the biggest pushbacks. It feels like a burlap sack, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot of new innovations that are happening around textiles, including things like pineapple, piñatex text being able to turn pineapple waste into leather wow. or mushrooms being turned into leather. Um, And and this obviously, again, pushes back to why are we not producing more things locally? If we don't need to farm cows to produce a leather-like substance, why don't we, you know, grow more uh, mushrooms or pineapples locally, hydroponically, um, in a lab somewhere, underground, whatever, and we we can produce all the things that we really, truly need to survive locally? Um, It requires a change in mindset, though. And, and in talking to these big brands and retailers, the biggest hurdle that they have to get over is, it, like, throw away everything you know about the current supply chain. It's dead to you. Yeah. <laughs> now, what does it look like? All we can focus on is what does it need to be to solve all sides of the equation? How do we produce customization, on-demand, circularity, local, transparent, uh, made-to-measure Well, there's some robotics thrown in. There are all kinds of startups like this one called Lab 141 here in New York. She has created a a type of small footprint, five foot by five foot laser um, textile cutter. They're usually huge and take up a whole warehouse. So she's made a small footprint one for just such a type of small batch factory where you can produce directly from uh, a digital pattern that through her algorithms, can scale up or scale down patterns from a size zero to a size 22, uh, where it algorithmically also changes the structure inherent to that pattern, because you can't just scale from a size zero to a size 22. You need to change structure. So that's all done digitally now and can be done on the fly. Um, And then it goes directly to being laser cut on her device and can be bonded instead of stitched. So if you're using things like cotton, you know the type of bonding agents and the types of cutting machinery that you need to work with cotton. How many things can be produced with cotton? T-shirts, uh, you know, athleisure. Mm-hmm. Some, basically, 90% of what the U.S. population wears on the regular. <laughs> so yeah. we we don't we don't start by saying okay we're going to localize everything we start by saying what can we produce locally and start to add on from there start with t-shirts and things that could be made with cotton there's your shared raw materials your volume is now in uh, a cotton replicant or this circularly regenerated textile that replicates cotton as massive shared regional resources and then all brands are sharing in the cost of the uh, distributed collaborative supply chain to be able to produce locally and you know if you're eventually i see this model as being if i live in new york but i'm visiting la and i want to purchase a t-shirt that i find in la i can purchase it there and i'm purchasing the digital asset which could then be shipped uh sent to the facility that's closest to where i live so it's truly produced locally last mile
2: yeah, but here he, you he touch an important point. That it's more also uh, changing in behavior from the consumer. How, how do you envision that to be possible? Because, I mean, we're, we're creatures of habit.
1: Yeah. Well, creatures of habit, They you want fast fashion. <laughs> Everyone wants yeah. something that fits. If you can incentivize the right behavior by giving them benefits, you know, if I need to go to a Walmart – The closest Walmart to me living in the burbs of New York City is, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes away. I would drive to their store if I knew that I could get my body scanned, co-design my own garment, uh, virtually try it on with augmented reality before I hit purchase, and uh, have it produced locally, sustainably, to my size and measurements within 15 minutes to an hour. And have the option to say, oh, do you want to do some shopping in the Walmart Supercenter? Yes, Uh, I'm going to be here for about an hour. Would you like to have a bot bring it to you at your location in the store when it's finished? Or would you like to have it delivered locally last mile? Or would you like to pick it up in the drive-thru as you're leaving? We will notify you when your garment is done.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, now, we have an Alexa here, and I'm sure she's listening to it, so Amazon is listening to that. It's <laughs> so, yeah. oh, hello. Yeah, can, can you imagine if, now, can you imagine if you can do that in the comfort of your house?
3: Uh-huh. Well, don't, uh, I oh. believe there was something about Amazon and partnering with, like, a mirror that could help you. Yeah. yeah. It, it's work, it's,
2: it's, it's, so it's somebody's working. Somebody's working on it. Yeah, okay. somebody's
3: working on it. But that's a little bit far away in... Uh, the future, maybe sooner than rather that, than later,
1: but the piece that Amazon's working on. So they are working on getting to know you and your taste and your measurements and mm-hmm. sizes. The piece that they don't have is this infrastructure. So to be able yeah. to produce fashion, they still have to use the existing supply chain. This current supply chain I'm talking about. I know all the businesses, the startups and emerging companies that are building all the core components. I've been working on getting the right brands and retailers to see the opportunity and to see they don't have to build this from scratch. It's just a matter of assembling the right parts in the right configuration.
2: Okay.
3: I want to ask you what are some things that we can start doing now? Like, okay, I'm well, for now, for first, I mean, first thing, I'm going to be a little bit more conscious of the products and the materials that I buy and use less mm-hmm. cotton. Uh mm-hmm. But what are other things that you can tell us and for our listeners that we can start doing right away when we are buying? Like, okay, first of all, buy less uh, or buy locally Mm produced, look for more sustainable fashion. But what are some other things you can suggest that we do to help with this issue?
1: So I sit on the board of another company called Leprix, L-E-P-R-I-X. And Leprix is a luxury resale company. platform they're really an engine for over 600 of the best global consignment stores that have been around for generations she's created a supply chain of all their inventory to sell directly to each other on the back end wholesale and to push their inventory through all kinds of marketplaces for the consumer to shop including at lapre.com. so if you can buy secondhand, (laughs) you know, it's, it's still good. uh, And especially for luxury items, you can get them for a steal compared to the original full price. And a lot of luxury goods um, appreciate in value if you make the right types of investments. So buy secondhand, first and foremost, I say also to look for um, cotton is better than something with a poly blend or anything, rayon, or anything that has any microplastics in it, because microplastics are really, truly what's killing our planet. They have found particles of microplastics. These are fibers that are extracted from when you wash something that has plastic threads or fibers, um, and it gets You know, expelled in your wastewater from Mm -hmm. your washing machine. Ends up in the rivers. Yeah. Yeah. Ends up in the rivers and the oceans. They have even found microplastics at the top of remote mountains. Yes. And, of course, they just recently did a, a deep dive in the ocean to the deepest Crevice they could get to in the ocean, and they found
3: plastic bags. Yeah, wow! I know so, <laughs> it was so sad. We
2: are a plague. We uh, so, what are yes.
1: for
3: people that are not as familiar with the terms in uh, in fabrics that have microplastics? You mentioned rayon. What other other ones? Well,
2: anything that says poly, polyester, yeah, poly, poly, yeah. P O L Y. Anything that's poly, plastic,
1: anything yeah. bad. Poly blends, yeah, uh-huh. rayon, bad. <laughs>
2: so, so you said you yes. know, you, you know. Uh, use more natural fibers, you know. Cotton yeah, in
1: and, and 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 when Hemp. you can repair, you know, there it's amazing um, how many grandmas know how to repair <laughs> things Sox. that oh, yeah. we just aren't teaching our children anymore. No. Teach your kids how to repair a, a button that falls off a shirt. It's not trash just because you don't know how to repair it. Exactly. Yeah. You know. I and, remember. Uh,
3: my mother repairing socks, and she would use this, um, like a wooden egg, to put inside the sock so that she could. Sti- well, you can't. Oh, you wow. need to stitch it with something yeah. inside, and of course, it cannot be your foot. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. you put you. She would put these like huevitos de, de madera inside mm-hmm. the sock, and then she would stitch it.
2: Wow, I yeah. didn't know that could, that was possible. Uh, um, yeah. 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 I, I'm not know. saying
3: I know how to do it. I just remember very clearly my mother stitching.
2: The business idea you know, huevitos and yeah, Huevitos.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So there's even uh, thousands of videos that I get mesmerized on on Pinterest. If you go and search for DIY repairs, you can find the most mesmerizing ways to fix a hole in a sweater that, you know, oh, I got a hole in my cashmere sweater. What am I going to do with it now? It's right in the front. I can't disguise it. They teach you how to fix really? sweaters and turn it into like you could turn it into a beautiful little embellishment or they have different ways to make it disappear and seem like it never existed. Uh, there's just uh, all these traditional crafts people around the world. I've seen videos shared with me from uh craftspeople in japan that will repair a, a suit and take a scrap of the original textile of the suit and weave re-weave it in to cover the patch so it doesn't even look like it's stitched it's actually re-woven into the original fiber and you can't even tell where the hole was
2: wow that's a whole new level that i'm interesting because i I got a suit that I love that it recently got decommissioned because of that. But I like, oh. I'm not throwing it away because it was for, it's a super nice suit. But yeah. it had a tiny hole. Need, I was like, ah. Oh.
3: You need a Japanese
2: I, I, need a, <laughs> I need a geisha.
3: Yeah. A yeah. Japanese fairy to help you fix that. Or yeah. no, DIY no, or, repair on no, Pinterest. No, no,
2: no, no. I, I'll do it. I, I'm willing to learn new, new skills. Yeah. yeah. Always willing. So, no, that's fantastic. So, um, But, uh, Lisa, so... Uh, one question that I have, all this sounds wonderful now, but remember, without money, nothing happens. Is there an appetite mm-hmm. from investors uh, to see this happening now? Or are we still you know, trying to kill the planet and just make a buck? Wow.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting yeah. because one of the reasons I'm, I've, I'm building Refashion Ventures to invest in companies that are refashioning global supply chains um, is that there aren't enough VCs that are frankly focused on it there's impact investors and those are seen Mm -hmm. almost as charity like a a philanthropy let's all and i don't know a single philanthropy that's ever disrupted anything and we are at the point in time where we require disruption so and disruption requires capital so i'm raising this fund to be able to invest in the proper disruptions that will be game changer for our planet for massive industries Um, We're at the early stages of of the fourth industrial revolution where supply chains are being digitized for Mm -hmm. the first time in history. You know, bills of lading. It's a piece of paper that ships. Way back, you know, hundreds of years ago, would be filled out at one port, and then you had to have your bill of lading to receive your shipment at the other port, and it's still done like that today. I paper, know. I know. It's really yeah. easy to disrupt uh, paper oh, and,
2: and in triplicate. We, I know. <laughs> yeah, so we're yeah. using triplicates on that on those forms. So, no, no, I, I totally get it. Um, but, yeah, so my question was more like, okay, w- we know w- w- this needs to happen, but where is the money coming from? Because, uh, you know, w- like you said, it, as long as there's no charity, you know, investors are not going to pour money into that. Yeah, world.
1: so what we've seen, what I've seen in talking to these huge brands, I thought that the existing Um, executives at, you know, the big brand fashion holding companies would be incentivized to have, uh, to invest as a strategic partnership, investing basically in their own future. (laughs) But lo and behold, no. What I've discovered is that C-suite executives at most of the big apparel holding companies uh, feel like, well, that's somebody else's problem. I'll be out of yeah. here in three years. Doesn't matter if, uh, you know, the company goes under in five, I'm out in three, and then I'll be dead by the time the you know, 10, 12 years from now. Uh, well, that, that,
2: that's everybody's mentality. Well, I won't be here. My kids will be. That's a yeah. problem. So I
1: Exactly. And so it's not the, the C suite executives at the holding companies. What we found is it's, it's more so the, the families behind brands. So they understand their family's legacy is at stake. Uh, it's, it's more, um, you know, the, the family offices behind the big luxury brands, even, uh, you know, Walmart, the Walton family. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking to um, any number of organizations that have a built-in incentive because they've made it their life's work and their family's name is behind these huge brands that are at risk of not existing in 5-10 years and uh, most there was a great quote from CB Insights um, I shared on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago something like 52% of the S&P 500 won't exist in 10 years but that's been a consistent <laughs> uh, data point yes. okay you need to say I like that points. again
2: yeah. <laughs> because I, I love statistics
3: Well, yeah, well I'm She's writing math, everything down cool. And I yep. I really want to emphasize what you just said. The, the
2: data point, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to pull up my exact quote, so I'm oh, not misquoting Now it's official, you. guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's official. Yes. All right. You can find the, the image that I uh, reshared on my Instagram, uh, which is just Lisa Hillibow says here, um, here's a thought from CB Insights. For all you legacy players thinking, oh, no worry, that startup only has X percent of the market. That's a rounding error. Well, 52% of the S&P 500 has disappeared in the last 15 years. Ignore innovators at your own peril.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Actually, uh, I, I posted this video also on our Instagram at, at my clicker my, or me Clica. Uh, it's a video that shows the graph how it moved, you know, from the past hundred years. Yes. I don't know if everybody saw it. Uh, the top, uh, but, but it was on the down. The S
3: P. No, no, no. Dow? It was the S and P. Oh no, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Or yeah. This Ooh.
3: was originally on LinkedIn. There's this guy that does these amazing graphs. The, the graphs on,
2: and how they move throughout the years, and we, especially we, in the last fifteen years, just in the past fifteen years, we saw you know companies disappear, in like GE. Got you know companies getting delisted. Companies have been there mm-hmm. since the inception of the uh, 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 of the exchange, and now they're gone. So yep. and, and you know the top ones are technology, you know Apple, Samsung, Google, <laughs> Facebook, etc. Et and, and more coming. So like you say, it's absolutely right. Started you know many of these companies started in a dorm or in a, in a garage not that long ago. We're talking about ten. I mean Google twenty years ago that's nothing, and now it's one of yeah. the largest companies in the world. Amazon the same.
1: Absolutely. Actually, last night we hosted an event um our New York Supply Chain meetup event with DHL and jd.com. And jd.com their um one of their logistics executives was giving a presentation on uh they're basically creating logistics as a service for brands. They're a tech company. I see. Yeah. <laughs> and they are now taking over distribution for uh, their competing with brands and retailers. And they're now going to be offering all the infrastructure and services that brands and retailers used to provide or source themselves. So um, if you look at the top three most valuable internet companies in the world, number one is Amazon. Yep. Number two, two is Alphabet. Number three is JD.com.
2: Oh, okay. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> JD. Well, who's JD? Yep jd.com. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. But well, that's an that's another good fact. Yeah, Sylvia, put it down, please.
3: Yeah, I'm. I, I have so many notes. I'm gonna tweet them at you when I. Yeah. No. 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 Like here,
2: I'm just gonna take a picture of the notes and, and like. Yeah. Because she's had much better <laughs> handwriting. But listen, Lisa, we, So we're, we're you know we only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, where you know do you have any final thoughts on you know that you want to leave with and, us?
3: And share where we can find you on the web and social networks so that.
2: And the for all of our listeners, because
3: I'm already <laughs> following you.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Um, well, I would love to extend an invitation for everyone listening to uh, come to our upcoming Supply Chain Innovation Technology 2019 Summit on June 19th and 20th. You can find information on it on the New York Supply Chain Meetup's website, which is just T-N-Y-S-C-M So initials of the new york supply team meetup.com uh all the event info is on our website and you can also learn more about our fund at refashioned.com and that's r-e-s-a-s-c-s-h-i-o-n-d.com so there's no e at the end it's just refashion d and yeah, we would love to see you at our events. Um you can find me at Lisa Hellibow on most social handles. And um what else? I don't know what else to say. I'm I'm treading water. I have so many things brewing right now. Well, I can I can tell you for- I can
3: tell you from my notes that we are gonna summarize the three key things that Lisa recommends. Buy second hand, mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. more natural natural fibers, so ignore the rayon and the poly blends and learn how to repair and if you don't know how to repair you can go to DIY repair on Pinterest and get suggestions on how to fix and fix stuff
2: and reuse repurpose keep, keep reuse a
3: yeah. lot of the clothes that you love and that you do not want to do all the mm. uh, Marie Kondo and let it go because <laughs> it doesn't bring you joy because it has a hole well you can make it joyful again <laughs> folks
1: yes and don't 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 throw your stuff into the trash it's not trash especially clothing mm-hmm. is not trash it's There not are so away. many ways yeah. you could turn it into cash through uh these direct peer-to-peer resale sites or ThredUp up or Z and then if you have luxury goods sell them through lapree.com uh, or go into a consignment store and sell it consignment it definitely can Still be used by somebody
3: other than you. And if you need to repair socks, put a huevito <laughs> de madera. Huevito de
1: Huevito de madera. <laughs> Hashtag, yeah. huevito de madera.
2: Yeah. Well, Lisa, it's been great having you, uh, and good luck. Uh, keep us posted because you know, hopefully next year we can, we're still here. Hopefully, uh, yeah. you know, like everybody else. And, and we, we want like to have
3: uh, other people in the sustainable fashion yes. industry that we can connect you with. the so other we startup will keep founders? Yeah. In my, I mean, I could pick your brain. An entire day. So, if you are coming to the West Coast, to the Best
1: Coast.
2: Ooh, no, no, we're not going to get into that (laughs) argument right now. It's Friday. a New Yorker
1: here, New (laughs) Yorkeran.
3: Give us, give us a call. And well, I love New York too. Uh, I asked my husband to take me to see Hamilton in New York. Just saying, if you're listening, (laughs) esposo, just remember it's our anniversary and my birthday.
2: Oh, today? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, soon. Uh,
3: very soon. Very like ten year anniversary and forty year Whoa. birthday. So, okay. Little combo, all husband. <laughs> Hi. Well,
2: thank you so much, Lisa. Appreciate you know taking the time. Best of luck, and you just you know keep us in, keep keep us in the loop. I mean, we'll 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 be tweeting, posting, and, and cheering in for you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Hopefully, I'll have uh, a few huge announcements coming by, if not in the next couple of months, by by the fall. <gasps> awesome, love it.
2: Let us know Can't how we can to help. Can't wait to hear more. Yep, and we can help. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: Happy Friday.
1: Happy Friday. Happy Friday.
2: Thank you.
3: Adiós a todos. Bye.
2: Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionist. For small businesses like yours, nothing is more valuable than real human interaction. It's why two out of three mobile web searches for those ready to buy end in a phone call to a business. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit CallRuby.com slash StartupRadio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. Tell them Claudia and Edgar sent you. You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast.
0: El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de Netspace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland.
1: Our audio
2: engineer, mixer, and podcast editor is Alon Bozolet.
0: Diseñador de logo, Carolyn Main.
2: Our network logo was designed by Jessica Chan.
0: Diseñador de sitio web, Cameron Grimes.
2: Our production assistant is Chelsea Lancaster.
0: Tema de música, fanning and sunning, de Kevin MacLeod. Cree en ti mismo, sueña en grande y confía en el universo. De Marta Leticia y Silvia Romero.